Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I'm Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? Please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. Today, I'm co-hosting with my special guest, Simon Davis, the Senior Vice President of Workplace Technology at Impact Group. Simon leads Impact's workplace technology practice. As a recognized thought leader in real estate technology, Simon has nearly 20 years of related experience. He is the lead faculty on Cornet's Global Real Estate Technology Masters of Corporate Real Estate Professional Designation Program and assists Cornet Global chapters across the Americas with developing technology symposiums. He also serves as event chair and strategic advisor to the International Facilities Management Association IT community and is part of the Workplace Evolutionaries Phoenix Hub. Before Impact Group, Simon worked for leading technology solutions, including experts in machine learning, virtual reality-driven design, workplace and space optimization, and integrated workplace management system consulting and software. So welcome, uh, Simon. I'm really happy to have you on as my guest today. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? That's a leading question. Um, thanks, Julian. <laughs> um, uh, you know, appreciate the time. Um, yeah, uh, so my name is Simon Davis. I've spent about 20 years now working in, uh, in real estate technology, um, really focused on the corporate side of, uh, of the house. Uh, maybe not what I wanted to be when I was growing up, but uh, certainly become a real passion and a drive in my life and, and sort of formulated, you know, many friendships out of, uh, out of all of my, my work and activities. Um, I've really done, you know, most of the different avenues around, around real estate technology from working on, for, on the vendor side, uh, developing and selling products, uh, working on the consulting side for companies large and small, helping to advise uh, clients on the type of technologies they need, uh, and also spent several uh, very entertaining years with a series of startups um, helping to develop products and also, you know, really try and meet needs in the market that, that I thought were, were unfulfilled. Um, of, of recent note, uh, about nine months ago, I joined a company called the Impact Group, and uh, Impact has been eye-opening for me because, you know, really they gave me a mandate to come in and do what I felt was missing in the market. And with all my years of experience on the various sides, I, I, I felt the one area that was truly lacking was having companies that were agnostically advising clients on the right technology. Um, you know, it seemed that companies either favored particular technologies, their teams were maybe trained in it, um, or even to the point where companies were getting, you know, referral uh, fees for recommending specific technology. And, and, and I felt that, you know, the end user, the corporates, if you like, weren't always getting the right advice uh, from coming from the right position. Um, and what I wanted to do was was to establish consulting practice that could do that, where we can come in and quickly help clients really get to the, the crux of, of their pain points. Um, and provide them with the right technologies and the right options in order to solve those those pain points. Coupled with that, you know, one of my big passions and, and being in that uh, startup world for, for a few years was really trying to identify new technology that people weren't aware of that really mattered. Um, I, th- I think one of the one of the big concerns I see these days, um, if you look at 
organizations like MIT and UNISU that track these things, you're looking at somewhere between 10 and 12,000 players in the prop tech market, which, you know, is a very, a very nebulous topic in itself. But I find there's a lot of technology out there that was kind of built for the sake of it, you know, solving a problem that might not exist. It might be cool and sexy and fun, but it's not necessarily getting to the underlying issues clients are facing. So on that side of the house, what I'm really looking at is identifying companies that are, are in that very early startup mode. They, they don't necessarily need my help from a financial perspective, but more from a positioning perspective and introducing them to clients and prospects that need the, the problems they are, they are actually solving. So that's sort of, you know, a bit about my journey and, and really how it's crafted uh, what we're doing now at, uh, at Impact Group. Oh, that's fascinating. We seem to have a little bit of a similar background because I I started my career actually in the technology space in IT and technology way back in 1988. And I fell into uh, corporate real estate by accident, actually. I just applied for a job. It was At the time, it was like office admin, office services, and that role just kind of expanded over time. But my whole thing was then learning about, you know, how, how do you use technology to be able to help you in your day-to-day and just kind of living through that from a time when you didn't really have prop tech available or readily available. There probably was some stuff back then, you know, to manage like leases and things like that, which were pretty basic things. But when you look back on, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago and how much prop tech is out there today, there's a huge mountain of of tools that are out there and just trying to figure out like I'm just thinking back if I was in that role today like where do you start how do you how do you even figure out what what tools are out there and, and what tools you need so this is very timely because um you know obviously workplace technology uh is on the rise uh, lots of startups in uh, that space building new technologies to help organizations manage the workplace uh, and so I'm curious, based on what you're uh, seeing, what you're experiencing, what are companies wanting to measure uh, with these technologies? I, I mean, I think that's a, it's a great starting point. Um, and, and intriguingly, I would say that a lot of companies don't know what they want to measure or, or what they really need to measure. And, and, and I find it really intriguing. You know, you talk about sort of the proliferation of technology in the market. And, you know, there's a lot of marketing dollars and a lot of investment going to these companies that, that are, you know, certainly striving to be successful. And I think I, I'm seeing end users get sort of, you know, sucked up in the flow of, of marketing and events and feel like we have to buy this technology. And when I sit down and talk to them about what they're trying to achieve, they don't necessarily know what that is. Um, I, I had one very specific example where a friend of mine said, you know, we, we need to get a sense of solution in by January. And I was sort of talking about the fact that, you know, I felt that some of the solutions they might be looking at weren't necessarily the right ones. It, you know, even by January, they, they might be, you know, sort of a little bit redundant. And she said to me, she said, Simon, the CEO wants technology in to measure how many people are coming into the office. And, you know, I think I think you've got a lot of sort of still sort of knee jerk reaction to the pandemic and looking at uh, technology around utilization from that perspective. And, and the reality of it is, is if, if you're just really looking for something to help you determine, you know, the flow of people coming back, you can get enough level of detail using a badge card reader. You know, you don't have to invest in costly infrastructure to do that. Or you could look at, you know, some more maybe throwaway technologies that can that can do a great job, but aren't necessarily a massive capital investment. And, and, and I think for me, that's the biggest issue right now is people don't necessarily know what they want to manage or sorry, what they want to measure. 
Um, and certainly, you know, short term, it's a little bit of, you know, we, we need to sort of prove out that people are coming back in. But I think the smart money and the smart players in the field are looking more at the long term, right? The, the sensors do have the ability to show you that data, but more importantly, they can do a lot more. And um, I'm actually uh, hosting a, a webinar in a few weeks with, with speakers from Uber, Microsoft and Oracle. And where their heads are at, which is very much where my eyes are looking, is around, you know, how do we use this technology in order to make better space? So in order to understand as we come back into what is likely to be a more collaborative area of work, you know, what spaces are particularly good or bad by clients based on utilization. And, and I think the other big piece is going to be, you know, looking at how do we make real estate more purposeful? So using sensor technologies as an example to uh, identify things like if our standards say we should have a six-person meeting room, well, how often are there more than three people in that meeting room? Should we really be building four-person meeting rooms? And if we have built space that's, you know, purpose for drop-ins and we find that people are dwelling in that space for eight hours a day, you know, we should really reevaluate what we're building and how we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, I firmly believe that the pandemic is is going to make people more hesitant to go into the office, not from a health perspective, but just from a quality of life perspective. And, and I do feel that companies are going to really need to focus on creating a valuable, meaningful workplace in order to get those people back in to the office at the right times. Uh, and I certainly see that the right types of sensor solutions and data can, can help do that. But I think there's a bit too much short-term promotion of products uh, with, a, with a use case that, that I'm, I'm hopeful that isn't three or six months is going to be no more. So I, think, I think people need to really focus on, you know, what is that long-term benefit of doing this? Should we be doing this, right? Can we make do just with badge dates? Because maybe you can. Um, and if not, you know, if you're looking at a longer-term solution, then it probably needs to be able to do more than just track utilization. Probably needs to be able to help you understand things like indoor air quality and temperature and and other um, you know other key aspects of the space as well because I think those elements and being able to share that data with your employees is also going to help encourage people to come back in to uh, into the office. Yeah, it's interesting. You've actually touched on quite a quite a few points. The first one that I want to make was just the, about the pandemic specifically and how I think that's really pushed the need for technology in the workplace to the forefront just because people are trying to manage the safe return to office or, you know, just making sure that there's some sort of control in terms of, you know, not having the densities that you had um, before. But, you know, the point that you make about the fact that you, you there are existing, you know, uh, data sets within an organization that you can actually use where you don't necessarily need net new technology to do kind of lends itself to the whole idea that, you know, companies should probably be looking to, or, or you just generally, you need to crawl before you can walk or walk before you, you run. And so, you know, are you seeing that, you know, companies want the, the hardcore sort of technology just for the sake of having the technology because it's available and therefore are sort of discounting the existing data sets that are within their organization? Or is it just purely because they don't really know what the capabilities or what capabilities um, there are with respect to the data sets that they do have within their company? Um, I mean, I, I think there are certainly instances where, you know, you might have a CEO or a head of real estate goes to a really cool webinar about a sense of technology. They really like the sales pitch. They really like the visuals. 
and they say, we've got to get this without really thinking about the purpose of what they're trying to do. And I think absolutely without realizing the level of data and information that you can get to without having to make that investment. And, and for me, that's the, the biggest piece is like is trying to just make people think about where are you spending this money and why are you doing it? Because if you're buying sensors that are really just entry egress and spending millions of dollars, in my mind, that that's you know money ill spent. Yes, it's going to tell you that information, but I think most people would probably opine that in the next six months to 12 months, all that data is going to tell you is that we have less people in our office than we expected. Um, so you might get a, a better level of accuracy. It might say there's you know 48% of people, whereas your badge card readers might not pick up that level, and it might be able to tell you what days are peak and what aren't. But I just I don't feel that investment for that specific use case is is worth it, um, given that you can leverage other data sets. So I, I think that's the area I'm seeing is you're getting a lot more outside influence, I think, in real estate than you ever had. It's ironic because I think real estate leaders for years have asked for a seat at the table. And, you know, FASB gave the CFO visibility to your real estate spend. And now the pandemic is giving the whole C-suite visibility because of the need to attract and retain talent. And, and that was certainly a theme prior to the pandemic. And I think mm-hmm. the forward-looking countries and companies were doing that, right? Like this, this is not new. This is stuff that I, I worked for an Australian company for several years and, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, the Australian market was going to more of an activity-based model where you weren't expected to be in the office. It wasn't one-to-one people to seats. Um, so, you know, there has certainly been, uh, I think, a, a more holistic view of this. I think there are companies, one I know a friend of mine runs, that that you never, ever would have gone to a model where they were looking at any kind of a hybrid environment without the pandemic happening. It just wasn't in the nature of the company. And and I think the executives, and it, you know, they use the story to the employees always that, you know, work from home doesn't work. And now you have an entire globe that can tell you, well, actually, it does. There might be some issues with it, but it does. And I think that's the big twist we're seeing is that now the employees have sort of that power and that say more than they ever have done before. And we're seeing it, you know, the great resignation. I think my friend Stan Gibson posted something the other day about 14 million people having resigned since April from their positions. And I think that's the fear factor, you know, that uh, that you're going to start losing valuable members of staff and companies have. Um, and, you know, I think we, we might start looking at some different equations around real estate for how you determine what you should measure by. Because if you look at just pure attrition cost in a market like I am in Phoenix, you know, losing, you know, uh, several, uh, you know, uh, several high level uh, employees, executives, etc., may well be more than the actual cost of, of, of retaining space that's not being used. You know, if you're paying 6,000 bucks a square foot, let's say in Arizona, and the average uh, replacement cost is two times salary, you know, there's not that many people you would have to lose in order to, you know, to, to, to write off the, the cost differential. And I think people might look at those models slightly differently, um, which, again, you know, would, would call to me and say, you know, you don't need to necessarily make a, a, a drastic decision about your real estate now because your focus should be on keeping your employees and keeping them happy. Yeah, and I think that that's a, that's a really valid point because I think a lot of companies, at least even from our side, when people that we're talking to and just even in the peripherals, is everybody's talking about, you know, making decisions about, you know, the future of real estate with the pandemic kind of still hovering over all of us. And yep. it just feels like it's still too early. Yeah, you get some of the insights that, you know, people are not returning anywhere near the volumes of what we had before. There's some consistency that we're seeing in terms of, you know, 20, 30, you know, 
very rarely 40, 50 percent back uh, in the office. You know, I, I think it's it requires more time to sort of trend and see, you know, is that number going to continue to climb or is it going to stay at that, you know, 30 to 40 percent mark, which interestingly enough, if you think about how organizations were using space before that, you know, even though working from home or just working out of the office wasn't necessarily a program that was formalized by many companies, it didn't mean that it didn't happen. And so, like you said, if people weren't looking at the data before, it seemed like it's a huge swing from them thinking that they were 100% in the office when maybe they were only at 65, 70% on a good day. Um, and that's being, you know, really generous. Uh, and now seeing, you know, maybe 40, 50% again on a good day, which seems like a, a drastic reduction. And so I think to your point that, you know, there's a lot of eyes now looking at corporate real estate. You know, the, the cost savings is still or at least seems to still be up there because there's a tremendous opportunities to say, well, if we don't need this much space, then, you know, we can reduce the amount of space, still keep potentially some vanity space or look to alternative um, spacing to support our workforce based on whatever the requirements are or that we deem are necessary for our company. And then, you know, call it a day. Right. I can agree with you more. I mean, it, it was crazy to me. I mean, you know, many years pre-pandemic, you would go and you would go to sort of a cubicle farmer of an office for a large corporation. You'd walk around and, you know, you'd see a few heads and, and the comment would always be, oh, yeah, it's normally busier than this. But if you actually looked at the empirical data, as you pointed out there, you know, 40 to 60 to 70 percent was good pre-pandemic. You know, if you weren't if you weren't a sort of a, you know, a butts and seats kind of a company where the expectation was everybody was in, you know, any of those Silicon Valley companies making or having that number of people actually in the office was good. So I, I fully agree. If, if anybody's expecting 80, 90, 100 percent, they're going to be sorely mistaken. Um, and, you know, that that's, again, is something that the data was there previously and people either just weren't looking at it or they wrote it off as, as an anomaly. And, I, you know, that that is absolutely going to change. I think the, the, the information, the forefront of this data now, the importance of it is, is, is right there. And it is going to be heavily scrutinized and it's going to take a while I think, for everything to play out and for, I think, individuals to work out, you know, where, when and how do they work best. I mean, I'm I'm in a, in a city, in a state that, you know, frankly, was probably less oppressive during the pandemic than many other places. But I think for people that have been on true lockdowns, I think of friends in, in Europe and friends in Australia, you know, they may all say, I want to go back to the office and they may well go straight back to the office when things open because they've been working from home during a pandemic where they can't go out and do anything. But when you can actually, you know, leverage your time and spend more time with your family or on your golf game or whatever your hobbies are, right, because you don't have to travel two hours a day, I think that could change. So I think I think some of those regions, you might see a big bounce back and get up to maybe even pre-pandemic levels of occupancy until people sit back and realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't necessarily have to do this commute every day and, and I can do things and work in a, in a different manner. So, yeah, it's going to it's going to take some time to play out for sure. So another question I had was with respect to just thinking about corporate real estate analytics in general. And so, you know, as we talk about occupancy planning, you know, just trying to understand and quantify, you know, the opportunity for reduction, redeployment, you know, cost avoidance, kind of all of that fun stuff. 
Um, is thinking about how it was done in the past. So I've been you know, doing workplace strategy since 2007. Um, you know, most of the companies that I've worked with in the past when I was on the consulting side typically hired consultants to do that. So whether you were, you know, part of a you know, large consulting firm or you were a design firm, um, you know, furniture suppliers, these were sort of the companies that were coming in and basically doing the assessment of your space, uh, taking, you know, whatever data that they could through surveys and maybe looking at your badging data, whatever it was that they were doing, um, going away, sort of, you know, working their magic in Excel and then coming back to you, to the organization with some recommendations and then obviously with goods and services to follow. Um, with the advancement of uh, workplace technology, are you seeing that there's more of a, an appetite from organizations to do it themselves or are you seeing that it's still pretty much dependent on these larger organizations to do that on their behalf? Um, I, I think the appetite is increasing for companies to, to manage a lot of that information themselves and, and I think partially of it is driven by you know cost it, it's driven by what is it going to take to get somebody in to do these these studies and I think in the past a lot of them were treated as studies right they were treated as you know, maybe this is a one-off. We're going to spend a hundred grand, and somebody's going to come in and tell us what our portfolio should look like for the next three years. Um, but my my view, and, and certainly just seeing you know recent hires of friends of mine into big roles that are more workplace strategy focused internally, is that's really going to become a table stakes position. You know, mm-hmm. somebody that can actually look across the board and say, you know, where should we be growing? Where should we be shrinking? You know, where do we have uh, where do we have need for specific types of space? You know, taking into consideration things like, you know, cultural aspects, geographic aspects, you know, even just age of employees and, and, and what they might want. Because I think that that drive, I mean, we, we would say this pre-pandemic, you know, when I was at Cereview, th- there was a gentleman I met from, uh, I think it was from Cisco. And he said, you know, you, you, your building is the body language of your company. And I think that's still going to be true to an extent. But now you're going to also have really, you know, the workplace experience, whether that be a physical in office or whether that be the ability to work in a hybrid manner, um, I think are going to be big, big uh, aspects of, uh, of attraction and retention of talent. We're seeing that already. You know, we're seeing people leaving positions because they don't have flexibility. We're seeing companies like Twitter very, very uh, openly coming out and saying, hey, if your company isn't, you know, remote first or remote favored, then come and join us. Um, so I, I think having that internal resource is going to be necessary in order to make the right decision for the company and in order to understand those cultural aspects of, of the organization. So it's not cookie cutter. It's not, you know, one size fits all. It's very much looking holistically, at, you know, as I say to people, what are we trying to be when we grow up? You know, where is our company going? How are we focused? Um, and, and I think it's going to be a challenge for, for a lot of people because it's something they haven't necessarily done in the past. They probably have a large investment, you know, financially in, in real estate. And there's certainly also, I'm sure, for a lot of organizations, an, an emotional attachment. You know, if you've been at a company for, you know, even five years and you've gone to the same desk every day for five years and now all of a sudden, you know, is that desk there? Is that office even there? It's, it's, it's going to have an impact. So I, I believe, you know, those internal focus roles are, you know, things that, that need to be looked at in a similar vein, you know, to date, I mean, there's still, in my mind, so few companies that actually have a real estate technology leader within their organization. You know, I can look at companies like Salesforce and um, MetLife uh, for many years had them. 
But a lot of companies, they don't have that kind of a role. So they don't have somebody holistically looking at technology. They don't have somebody holistically looking at workplace. And I think there are two things that are going to be needed in order to ensure, you know, that, that, that the overall strategy of, of retention of those valuable employees is, is at the forefront. Yeah, it's really interesting because that's what we're, we're seeing as well is that, you know, I mean, the, the role of a corporate real estate analyst is a relatively new role in, in organizations. It's, it's hasn't really been very common. And I think that that's probably the reason why a lot of organizations are struggling with trying to voice what they, what they're looking for, what they want to achieve, what their objectives are and don't really quite understand it. And so they look at, you know, the shiny object over here of, hey, there's some cool technology and that's what we need. And then they bring that technology to into the workplace and are disappointed because it doesn't deliver what they didn't really have an idea of what it was supposed to deliver in the first place. The other thing that we find that's really interesting is, you know, the role of IT and HR and specifically I mean, I've worked in um, in an organization prior to, to joining Relogics. I was doing um, workplace strategy enablement um, within this one organization and working with HR and IT and more so kind of the blend of the corporate real estate analytics with people analytics. So working with HR, bringing people analytics into the mix and the corporate real estate to the other side and looking at, you know, how does that complement what you're trying to do, as you say, about you know, it's not just about occupancy planning, per se, in terms of how many people can you fit into a building, but also around growth strategy, location strategy, yeah. you know, where your, your your hiring strategy, like all kinds of things that when you bring this data together and you start to understand, uh, you know, the demographics and the makeup of your organization and, you know, what are the trending patterns for certain age groups or certain tenure groups or the combination thereof. And you look at that and you say, OK. If this is what we look like today, what's our organization going to look like, you know, five, ten years from now in terms of the, the the makeup of the organization? You can kind of start to use some of that data that you're observing and saying, okay, if this is how this particular group of uh, individuals use space, then you could kind of use that to sort of help shape what the potential future of the office might look like. And so it, it's really it's really fascinating. But one of the things that I've always have been a little bit dumbfounded by is the number of organizations that, you know, uh, will do analytics and sort of turn to their, you know, BI team. So usually they'll reside as an independent team or they're part of IT. And again, the lack of business knowledge, like just within corporate real estate, where it's kind of like, okay, there's a bunch of data, uh, you know, see what you can do with it. <laughs> and it's right. very hard to do if you can't actually talk that person through what it is that you want, what what are the, the types of questions that you want to ask your data to be able to draw out the insights that you're actually uh, looking for. Technology doesn't do that for you. That's the, you know, the, the business subject matter expert that has to be able to lead that. Well, and it, it's an interesting view. I mean, I, I, I was just going to make the point that now, as opposed to three or five years ago, there are technologies out there that can help companies get a long way along that journey. You know, I look at um, at organizations like Beyond HQ and N Continuum that, that really are, you know, commercially available shrink wrap products to help you make some of those determinations. Um, then I look at other companies like Navigator CRE who've, who've really burst onto the scene, you know, with, with BI and uh, data visuals that, you know, frankly blow away 
companies, you know, some of the biggest service providers that have spent millions of dollars trying to build these solutions, and they put the power of the data in the hands of the user. Now, to your point, you have to be a astute user, right, to understand exactly what's 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 coming for you. But you know, technologies that can help you, I think, with with different ways of strategically planning out space with volumes and volumes of data that you might not traditionally get access to because you're getting them through your service provider, I think are going to put the, um, you know, put the occupant in the driving seat more and more. You know, I think we've long had this conversation with, with friends in the industry about, you know, why isn't there a Zillow for commercial real estate? Why isn't there a way to so connect true. that data? And it's, it's, at the end of the day, it is data. You know, it's getting, yeah. it's getting the right level of information. And, and, it, and it's another area, I know going a bit off topic, but, I think that could change coming out of the pandemic because I think people are going to look at these things with a, with a lot finer, you know, a lot finer view to say, really, you know, why aren't we doing this in a, in a more automated, more consistent fashion, right? In my very simplistic view, if you have a landlord that says, you know, I'm willing to rent this space for 65 bucks a square foot and a tenant who's willing to pay that, why can't you connect the two? You know, right now, the, the power is probably not in the hands of those two entities as much as it will be going forwards. Right. Um, so, and again, it's all, all, all driven on data. And, and I think, you know, driven on the fact that you can now access, you know, commercially available tools to do these things that in the past were, you know, done in, in smoky rooms in the back of an office, um, you know, with a lot of uh, proprietary information. So from a, from a user perspective, so considering the fact that your feeling, which I share, is that, you know, more and more uh, the, the data is going to be uh, and, and the power is going to be in the hands of the the user or the, the tenant. Who do you think would be the ideal consumer of this data? So within an organization, you know, who who right today, who would be that ideal consumer? I, I mean, I think from a consumer perspective in terms of using data around, you know, utilization, workplace, et cetera, it, it has to be. Uh, you know, dedicated resources in those kinds of roles, right? That, that as to your point, they understand what they're looking at and, and the value of it. Um, and I think in some areas that just doesn't happen. Um, you know, I think in, in some areas this, you know, data is getting produced, it's getting thrown into a, a, a you know, a, a PowerPoint or, um, you know, a Power BI type application and, and not really getting the value because they're not actually leveraging that information. Um, I firmly believe that, you know, with, with a few different data points, you can, you can make a lot of good decisions. You know, if I'm a head of real estate and I can go to a system and say, you know, show me what leases I have expiring in the next 18 months where the utilization is less than 30% and we have a deferred maintenance cost of X, then that should point me to, you know, this is space we should look at getting out of, right? And that was, that was even pre-pandemic thinking. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I think it's, it, it's really taking that data, understanding it, and understanding the value, uh, you know, one of the greatest analogies I think I've heard was somebody talking about space and saying, you know, they don't build the parking lot at Nordstrom's for Christmas Eve. You know, you don't <laughs> build space for the the possible peak of what it's going to be. You know, you have to look at the value of it on an on an overgoing, you know, ongoing basis. And and I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for companies. Um, I see certainly in the U.S. that you know traditional companies that are saying. We're going to go hybrid, which can mean a lot of different things, but to most of them it means you work from home two days a week, which to employees means I don't go to work on Monday and Friday. Well, if you can't do anything to divest of the real estate, then in a year, two years' time, the CFO is going to come and say, you know what, we tried this hybrid thing, didn't really work, we didn't save any money. And you might have way happier employees because of it, but unless you're able to you know, shred some dollars off the bottom line, then 
the natural assumption is going to be to push back. Um, and I think that's where the, the value of the data and understanding that information really comes to play. And then I think also taking that information and using it more predictively, you know, almost helping people determine where their schedule should be in terms of, you know, when, where and how they work. Right. Um, if I was told, you know, tomorrow that three of my team members are all going to be in the office, then maybe I'm going to think about going into the office. So I think the data, again, you know, will drive those behaviors and understandings, but it needs to be appropriately managed and visible and it needs to, to tie into, you know, other key data sets. You just briefly touched upon sort of predictive analytics and, you know, we can talk a little bit about that in, in AI. So what are your thoughts on the role and value of artificial intelligence and predictive analytics specifically in planning for corporate real estate in the future? Yeah, I mean, AI, I think, is a little overblown term, and I think it's t- tied to a lot of things that aren't necessarily, you know, truly um, artificial intelligence based. But where I think the value comes in the, is in that predictive analytics, it's that predictive uh, capability, you know, to understand how much space a company needs, how is it being used, but then at the micro level to understand, you know, how how should we encourage teams to use this to work the best way they can. Right. Not not to force them back into the office, but to understand, you know, if this team works this way, then, you know, this is the right combination of collaborative versus heads down. And and this is how they can work. And I think that also can bring in from a cost perspective, a third place component of saying, okay, you know what, maybe today I don't want to drive all the way into San Francisco, but I want to be around people. I don't want to work out of my office because somebody's, you know, knocking down a wall. Um, so I want to go to, you know, a, a WeWork or a, you know, Convene or, or one of those sort of, you know, third party places. And I think from the analytics perspective, it's coming up with a mechanism to understand all of that. But my biggest caveat is without it being onerous on the employee, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day and they rolled out a, you know, workplace experience technology at uh, one of their facilities that was opening up in, the, in Australia. And within a week, they were asked to remove it because it was just too convoluted. And I think, you know, you look at a lot of these technologies and standalone, they look great. They demo really, really well. But mm-hmm. how well do they tie into the infrastructure of a large corporate? Um, yeah. How many apps do people really want to have to open in order to get to where they need to get to? And I think I think that's where the complexity can cause us some issues because you're going to need that intuitiveness of the technology to help leverage the, the predictive analytics to be of value because – if, if you have a great, you know, if you have a great predictive engine, but I'm never logging in to be told when I need to go in, when I should, you know, go into the office or, or what spaces I should use, then it's, it's pointless. And I, I, I think that's where a lot of companies are missing the mark. Um, a lot, a lot of you is very much like, this is our product. This is standalone. I saw it more than anything in the sensor world. You know, we just did a, a report that we made available. We looked at 20 sensor vendors. And I think of the 20, there was only one, which was Relogix, which was actually building a platform with the view of absorbing data from other sources. You know, they're all hardware plays, and they're not really looking at being able to ingest other data. And to me, that blew my mind because I'm thinking, you know, longer term, surely the play is the analytics. We don't really, you know, we don't really care who the sensor vendor is or what type of sensor this one is, we care about what information we're getting out of that. Um, And and I'm seeing a few different approaches there. You know, one large entity I've spoken to, what they're saying is, you know, their sensor vendors have to adhere by specific standards. And another large company I work with have said, you know, we're buying, we're we're sole sourcing one product, which is dangerous. Um, You know, does that product do what you need it to do? And, And I do think there's that, 
gap in the market for an analytics platform that can ingest all of this data around every aspect of how space is being used, regardless of the type of, you know, whether it be, you know, badge reader or Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or, um, you know, radar or passive infrared, whatever it may be, but to bring that all in. Because the other point is, you know, it's, it's in my mind why, you know, the smart lighting sensors never really work because if you have to retrofit every single one of your buildings for a specific brand of light, you're not going to do it. So I think there needs to be some more thought about that, right? And some more, I think, commonality and an approach to look at it saying, you know, the data is the key. The data is the winners in my head are going to be the ones who come up with the best data platforms to ingest this data no matter where, where it comes from. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, when I look at companies like Navigator CRE, that's their bread and butter, right? right. Is they pull in information from any source. It might not even be traditional real estate to give you additional value uh, to, uh, to, to, to making those real estate decisions. It's interesting um, what you were saying about the predictive um, element because it's true. Like, you know, I know personally I've, I've got like a gazillion apps on my phone. You know, when I was doing consulting, it was like depending on who I was working with, it was like use this app, use that app. And you're like, okay, which app am I supposed to turn right. on? And so that kind of gets annoying very, very quickly. But, you know, we've often thought about also, um, you know, from purely from a um, – other data source perspective, you know, can you extract that kind of insight from other data sources that will essentially help you understand, you know, how people are working together? So rather uh, right. than using the active data that might come from an app, can you pull that in from looking at, you know, information, for example, from calendar data or from, you know, collaboration that's taking place of, you know, who's talking to, not necessarily on the subject matter to some extent, um, because there's value in that, right? As you start to see kind of, you know, the, 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 the networking that's happening within the organization. And what's interesting about that is, as, you know, we hear more and more um, these days about, you know, how do you entice people to come back to the office and all this talk about, you know, creating a, you know, great amenity space or this like, you know, hospitality environment and, you know, all of that stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But, it may have a wow factor, you know, that first day or two, you know, while the first couple of days that you walk in, but that wears off really quickly. And when I think about what brings me or what drives me to want to go and work in a space is really who's there, right? Is it, is it yeah. someone that's going to allow me to grow in my career? Is it somebody I want to learn from, somebody that inspires me, um, you know, that kind of stuff or just colleagues and coworkers. I'm working on a project together and you know what, let's all get together today because you know, we're all going to be in the office and we need to hammer out a couple of things and it's better to do it in, in person. And so being able to observe the patterns of that kind of interaction that's taking place and marrying that to, you know, occupancy data and, and you know, dwell times and all of these things where, again, it just becomes another dimension of or lens of how you look at your occupancy data, I think will help drive the predictability element is to say, if this, these are the patterns of how people work, this is who they're working with, why they're coming into the office, how long that they're staying, that type of data looking at the history will help predict potentially what's going to happen in the future. However, having said that, it's interesting, I was having a conversation this morning with someone about just the unpredictability of occupancy and utilization. I'm sure as you 
probably have experienced, you know, you, there's surveys go out all the time asking people how many days a week do you want to come into the office and people yeah. will, re- will respond a certain way, but then reality is very, very different, right? And so it's kind of like, well, how do you, how do you guess which days, you know, Jane Smith is going to be in the office or, you know, the hundred Jane Smiths that are going to be in the office to know that today we have a demand for X number of seats and tomorrow we have a demand of, you know, Y number of seats and sort of the ebbs and flows that happen over the course of, uh, of the day, you know, the week, the month and so on and so forth. And so it kind of leads me to sort of the next question, which is, you know, thinking about what you said earlier about how much of the analysis that was done before was based on moment in time data. So you were just kind of looking at a study, kind of like, okay, we're just going to do a snapshot. We're going to use that data. It's going to inform the design. And then three years later, we're doing it again because things have changed. Um, versus more of this on-demand, real-time data that not only serves to inform occupancy, but also can help with other stuff to kind of help companies better manage their space. What are your thoughts on, on that, where it's more of that you know, always in, always on type of situation. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think my, my boldest prediction coming out of the pandemic is I think you're going to see the behemoth technology companies, the Microsofts, the Googles, the Salesforce, you know, come out with products that will help with this. Because I think they're now realizing the value of the technologies like, you know, Slack and Teams, etc., coupled with being able to understand and interrogate interaction of calendars and correspondence, right? And and I, I, I think the reason that those companies have never really gotten involved in real estate or workplace in the past was because they probably didn't see a big enough dollar value associated to it. And I, I think that's changing. You know, I think if you look at, like, you know, Salesforce is very much going, uh, you know, digital HQ, and, and that's their sort of mantra. Um, they've got to see that the products they produce, you know, the Slacks, the, the, the uh, CRM tools, et cetera, they can actually really help enable a – uh, more fluid hybrid workforce. Microsoft, Google, even more so to the extent, as you say, you know, if I can see, okay, well, how often is Simon meeting with his team? Where is it? How often is it remote? How often is it in person? Then I can couple that with sensor data to understand, you know, what spaces are best to be used. Um, and then I can, you know, look at other interactions through access to those unique data sets. Then all of a sudden I do get that real-time view of, uh, you know, where people are best working, which I think is should be the question. I think it's asinine to ask somebody how many days a week do you want to be in the office because it's going to depend on the week. There might be a week where you want to be in the office every day because, you know, your head's – I mean, for some people, because you want to be heads down, you don't want distractions at home. You know, there might be other times that you're not in the office for a few weeks because, you know, you're doing you're doing things of, of a different nature. And and, and to me, I think that, that um, sort of – collision of these bigger companies with a product to sell that is enabling hybrid work, I think will will really change our industry dramatically. I think there's, you know, if if I was out buying software right now, um, even looking at booking software or anything of that nature, and it didn't integrate with a Slack or a Teams or a G Suite, I wouldn't even look at it because I think that's the level that you're going to get to. And I think I think those players will come in at some point with commercial product that can do a lot of these things because they're the ones with all the magic because they have all of the data around, you know, connections, correspondence, and you, you layer in that, you know, sensor and utilization information as well, then I think that really is is sort of the, you know, is, is the secret source that people are looking for. Yeah, and I would agree. Like, I think 
from a, you know, booking um, software, you know, a calendar, you know, that's kind of more of the intentional side to really understand what the planned demand is for space. You know, sort of similar to kind of, you know, asking on a survey, how many days are you planning to come in? I mean, calendar is probably pretty accurate in terms of, you know, what's happening in the course of your day, who are you interacting with, but it doesn't really tell you if it's a virtual interaction or an actual in-person. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of sort of uncertainty around where is that actual, you know, interaction happening. Um, and it's interesting because um, I was recently on a on a call with a, one of our, our partners about, you know, IWMS and how similarly IWMS also um, can illustrate, you know, uh, what the uh, intent was for design. And so, you know, if you think about, you know, you're going in and you're doing all the research, whether it's a study or whatever, you know, whatever the outcome is of that study that ultimately leads to a design gets fed into your IWMS from a program perspective to say, okay, we have X number of employees, we have, we provision X number of desks and meeting spaces and so on and so forth. And so even as a starting point, if you just extract the IWMS data and you look at that as to say, okay, what, how did we plan our space 10 years ago, right? What were the assumptions? And now look at it from the standpoint of what's actually happening today. How are people using the space and you bring it together, you always see that there's misalignment. And that's really where that opportunity yes. comes into play of how do you bring those much more in alignment with each other? And to your point is that the variances that you see from day to day, week to week, at least in my experience, you know, working with, I don't know how many gazillions of, of data lines over the years, is that over time, um, you know, People's behavior is generally normalized. You're going to get sort of the, you know, the randomness of one week they're in one or two days a week and then the next week they're in five days a week. But when you're looking at it over six months, a year, 18 months, generally speaking, you'll kind of, and you start to, to trend like, um, you know, month to month, you know, quarter over quarter, year over year, you kind of see plus or minus 5%. For generally for each user. So you get consistency in behavior. I think what's going to be interesting is how the pandemic is going to impact that because of the fact that yeah. we didn't have that flexibility before. Now we do. And some people have a preference for the office and some people have a preference for not working in the office. And so is that going to um, normalize itself as well? Or is that going to be something that's going to be always fluctuating you know, depending on what's happening, because you have the ability or the flexibility to use the space like a tool that you didn't before, right? Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the key aspect, right? You know, this the space is just another means to work, right? It's that's what its purpose is. It's to enable you to work more effectively. Um, right now, I mean, I the one the one business I would not like to be in right now is is selling Catherine software because I I think I think traditional space software could in the short term die as a result of what could happen out of the pandemic. Because I think companies are going to be way less concerned about things like chargebacks. They're going to be way less concerned about physical allocation of seats. Many of them are going to be way less concerned about actual booking into space. And, you know, I think you, I could definitely envisage if you're a company that says, you know what, we're going to go pretty much hybrid. We'll allocate five to seven, five to 10% of our seats that are fixed for people that need them. Everything else is really on a, a you know, come in, drop in basis. And all you're actually doing is requesting access to the building so, you know, you understand the supply and the demand. You know, why do I need a CAFM solution if that's the case? I probably don't. Um, and, I, and I think some of those things could dramatically change. I mean, you know, I'm not 
if I if I don't have people allocated a space, I, I'm not going to need a, a Mac capability because we're not going to be doing moves, ads, and changes because you know we're just going to have space that people drop in and use and then they drop out. And and I think some of those things it intrigues me particularly. You know, looking at vendor consolidation of companies that have got now, you know, several CAFM solutions under their wing, I'm like, that's not a bet I would have laid. And I could be entirely wrong, but I just, I, I think the trend is going to be more away from that. I don't see anybody coming post pandemic and saying, you know what, I really need to understand down to the inch my space. So now I'm going to invest in a CAFM solution to give me BOMA level measurement standards, right? That, yeah. that whole thing is going to go away. People aren't going to care about those comparatives. And yeah. I, I actually heard today speaking to a friend of mine uh, of a company that they've decided, and they're, they're a well-known company, they've decided they're going to let all of their leases lapse, they're going to take the savings from those leases, and they're going to apportion it on a monthly basis for employees to use so they can either invest in home space or they can use it to go to, you know, a WeWork or, or the like. And, you know, that company is not going to need those types of solutions anymore. Now the 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 landlords and the WeWorks might, but um, you know I I do see there there being some real sea changes coming out of this, um, and I think frankly, a lot of companies they may be talking you know to peers, but they're not necessarily overtly coming out and saying what they're going to do. And I think when when the chips start to fall, I think people are going to be shocked by how big a reduction a lot of companies are going to make in their physical footprint. Um, there'll be some, you know, Microsoft and Facebook, probably the most active, and, and Google with their new HQ or the new building in New York. You know, some that are looking at more space because they want more collaborative spaces. But you know, they're uh, they're also making a lot of money. They're, you know, they're, they're, I think they'll be in the minority, and I think I think sort of the, the hybrid model will veer more towards remote and third place work, and and therefore the impact and need for some of the traditional technologies just may may go away entirely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the flip side of that is that, you know, if systems or tools like IWMS are no longer going to be required and co-working does take off like, you know, many are, are predicting. And I, too, actually have heard I talked to a, a customer as well who um, shared a similar uh, plan where they were just letting their leases lapse for now and just kind of wait and see, you know, tap into the co-working spaces and allow their employees to work. Yeah wherever it is that they feel comfortable. And then when sort of the dust settles, figure out what they're going to do about their, their real estate strategy, which I thought, well, that's pretty, pretty brilliant that you're, you're able to do that. Um, but what's interesting is, is that there's going to be a need on the flip side, which is how do you manage? So, you know, having been on um, in, in office management way back when, you know, managing things like corporate travel, for example, right? So when you used to do your own travel, it was one thing. And then, you know, the Internet, you know, Expedia came to be and everybody could book their own travel. And people were like, oh, I'm not going to use the corporate you know, travel contact. I'm just going to go online and I'm going to book my own tickets. Right. And so suddenly the cost goes through the roof because the company has no visibility to what people are doing. Now, you can, right. you can minimize that by giving people, a, you know, a fixed amount, monthly amount or whatever to say, OK, this is and it's taxable, obviously, but you know, you use this towards, you know, renting space or whatever it is to use office space. Um, but if that's not the case where it's just more of, hey, you know, companies sets up a relationship with Regis or with WeWork or whoever, and, you know, you, you reserve a, a, a block of seats that are available for your staff, how do you know, like, are people actually using the space? So basically you're pushing the problem to now the outside world and you have no visibility to how your employees 
are using those spaces because they don't have the ability to report back to those companies um, to say, hey, you know, you've got 50 seats, but only, you know, 10 percent or 15 percent of those seats are being used. They probably wouldn't even tell you that because they're making money off of you regardless of whether you use the seats or not. Right. Um, well, it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can see some of the smarter ones. And, you know, one one I've spoken to a bit, just just really more as sort of peers in the industry is RXR out of New York. You know, they're they're. they're you know, really, they're a landlord, but they're really looking at how do we how do we do these things proactively because we know they're coming. So if you just sort of try and sit quiet and hope your tenants don't, you know, don't realize that nobody's using the space and and sort of you know keep paying the rents, at some point they will, and they probably won't be very happy that you haven't been proactive. Uh, and what some of those companies are doing, they are looking at things like utilization and reporting it back to the tenants. So the companies know how the space is being used. And, and I think that's the right way to do it because you need to have that visibility of data. And, and I think as well, unlike maybe coming into the office, I, I, I think the human nature is probably going to be, you know, if, if my company is paying for this, then I, I do need to go in and use it. But again, the question comes back to me more of like not how many days do I want at home versus third versus in the office, but what do I try to achieve, right? What, what different work styles do I as an individual need? to meet my job duties and where can I deliver those best? And that's the question that just not enough people are asking because there's a lot of vested interest in getting people back to the office. And, you know, that's uh, a different, a different story. We could probably spend another hour on, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Just to see how these things evolve. For sure. Well, thank you, Simon. Uh, thanks for being a guest today. I really um, enjoyed hearing your uh, insights and our conversation and, um, any any final comments? No, I just you know I certainly appreciate appreciate the time and I, you know I'd say certainly if you know if you're uh, if you're out there in the market and you're looking at technology you know be be very careful about and, and very prescriptive about the use case you're trying to meet. What are you actually trying to achieve? Um, because I I think those sort of inadequately defined use cases and, and requirements for software are the reasons why people can end up with the wrong product. And there are many companies like mine and several others out there that, that are really geared around helping you ensure that you can make those decisions. I'm I'm always open, you know, with our industry being as close as it is to, you know, a 30-minute conversation with somebody just to help walk them through how they should start and where they should look. And that's uh, certainly something I'd be happy to offer to uh, any of the listeners out there. That's great. Thank you again. Thanks, Ian. Really appreciate it. Take care.